0: Well, good morning. (laughs) I wanted to wait till the lights came up. Uh, It is good to see you this morning. And uh, I have the privilege this morning to introduce you to you, our Hamilton North pastor, Mark Sullivan. Give him a round of applause. Thank you. I'm gonna let him introduce his own family, but uh, I need you to know this about this guy, okay? If he refers to anybody in the Bible, any of you in the crowd, myself as a fool, it is a word of endearment, okay? It's true. I promise you. Yes. Every time he walks in the office, what's up fool? Hey, Mark, give me a hug. You know, like, like, so just know that now, it's not, he's not, he's not insulting you. He's just, he's loving you, okay? It's a good thing for you to know. I'm yes. gonna pray for him. Jesus, thanks so much uh, for this guy. Thanks for his family. Uh, just thanks for bringing him to White River. I pray God that right now you would give him the words to fiercely make known your gospel. Uh, will we, would you be glorified? And will we be open to hear what your Holy Spirit has to say. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.
1: Amen. Well, good morning, Noblesville. It is uh, great to be here. And I, I guess I can best summarize this experience thus far as being called up from AAA to the big leagues. I don't know if you guys have been to Remnick Coffee Shop or we have church at Hamilton North, but it's uh, maybe as big as one section of pews here. So it's an honor to be here. And uh, I'm just short of being on staff at White River for about a year and a few weeks. And uh, man, it's, it's just been an awesome thing to get to know Lance and the rest of the staff, the team, the work God's doing here. And so I'm, uh, I'm honored to be here. Now, we did mention my family a little bit ago. Here's a picture of my family. You'll see them, uh, they're actually down front here, but this is my wife, Shelly, I know what you're thinking. Man, that bald guy out kicked his coverage, I did. Um, my wife of 20 years, and then Caleb on the right, he's my incoming freshman, and then Luke is my incoming seventh grader this fall at Hamilton Heights. So our family you know, made the move here and just super excited about, about the opportunity and about what God's doing. And what's interesting is that prior to having kids, you know, we're in this series called Bloodline, looking at the genealogy of Jesus and the different characters that make up the bloodline. I never really thought about genealogies or descendants at all until I had kids. You know, prior to having kids, it's like, you know, you're born into this family, you gotta make the best of it, you make it, you know, as, as good of, of, of decisions as you can, and you live with the, with the outcomes of the decisions that you make. But now that I'm a dad and I'm married to my wife, I think a lot about legacy, and a lot about handing down certain things that I want to make sure that are continued in our bloodline, the things that, that make us part of who we are and the things that we value. And so today, as we continue in this series, we're gonna look uh, at a character that's gonna kind of up the ante a little bit in terms of, of, of some of the stories that are gonna come out of this man's life. And, uh, and I hope that you're, that you're paying attention. Now, here's what I'll say, H- have you ever met somebody in your life that has just been handed everything on a silver platter. Like no matter what they touch or the family they were born into, it's just been easy for them. You know, they have all the right resources, the right connections, the right amount of money, the right scholarships, the right whatever it is. And like, you look at them and if you're honest, like me, there's probably a little bit of a, an envy uh, or jealousy in, in, in comparing yourself to that situation. But people like that, I often think about are the kids of professional athletes? You know, the, the professional athletes who who do you know a great thing in their sport, mom or dad, they have a kid, and if that kid wants to follow, follow in their their mom or dad's footsteps, the enormous advantage it is to come from number one, that athletic pipeline, the the, the genes that you're born into, but then all the things that you have, the access to, to do whatever you want to do and the best trainers and the best resources and all of those things. But if I'm honest, my heart is really drawn to people that have to fight and claw their way, have not given a bunch of breaks. See, you should know me, I'm a golfer. Uh, I'm raising two boys that are golfers. Golfers is a big thing in our family. I, I played in high school and college and I just love the game of golf. For the people that you meet, the connections you can make. But I, you know, my favorite golfer is Tiger Woods. And I was a Tiger fan before he became cool to be a Tiger fan, like 92, 93. Nobody knew much about him. Now I'll say this, he's not a role model, He's just my favorite golfer, but he has a son, Charlie, who's 13. So right in between my boy's age and and Charlie is making a name for himself on the junior golf scene. He's won some tournaments. And and I just think about him, like to follow his dad's footsteps, number one, it's a lot of pressure on him, but he has access to everything, Can, can walk on any golf course in the country he wants to play. Money's no object. You have your father, who's probably the first or second greatest golfer of all time to go to as a confidant. But the people that I'm drawn to are the people, like I said, that have, have none of that. None of the silver plate mentality where it's been given to you. They've had to fight and claw and work for everything they have. In fact, many of them are born into situations in families that are less than ideal. And they have to work to overcome the stigma or some of the things that they're predisposed to to make sure they're making a decision to either walk with the Lord or do things that are gonna honor the Lord. And today we're gonna talk about a man named Hezekiah. And this is his story. We pick this up in Matthew chapter one, the second half of verse nine and the beginning of verse 10. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Now, you should know this, that at this point in the genealogy, Hezekiah is 10 generations removed from David. And David in scripture is known to be a man after God's own heart. Hezekiah is seen in a more favorable light than David was. Hezekiah was an unbelievable man of faith and deep conviction. He did what God asked him to do, what God called him to do. And the amazing thing is, why well, I talk about generation and genealogy and, and legacies because his father Ahaz was the most evil and wicked king that Israel had ever seen. So he was not passed down a great model to follow. He had to overcome all of the things that his dad did that put the nation of Israel and Judah in peril, the things that undermine the authority that God had in the nation of Judah and Israel he had to undo all of that because he knew that he had to follow the things of God instead the ways of man. And um, I want you to see this in 2 Kings 18, verses one through three. You can turn there in your Bible. You can, you can open up your app. It says this, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, began to rule over Judah in the third year of King Hosea's reign in Israel. He was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother, Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight just as his ancestor David had done. Now, as we said, Hezekiah did not see a godly example in his father Ahaz. But for for the Bible to describe Hezekiah as a man who did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight He had to make a decision. And this is the main point this morning. I want you to understand this because this is a universal truth, not just for Hezekiah, but for every single one of us in this room this morning. It doesn't matter where you came from, but it matters who you follow. It doesn't matter where you came from, it matters who you follow. And let's be honest for a second. Here in America, man, we're really good at one thing. We're really good about making excuses or oh, I wasn't born into that family, or I didn't have access to this. I didn't have those resources. You know, my friends, parents had more money than mine and I didn't get into the best schools and all of these things. But I'm here to tell you, and Hezekiah's life will back this up. It doesn't matter where you come from. We have to stop making excuses or qualifiers for where we are in our lives because we have a decision to make. And the most important decision in our life is who we are going to follow. Are we gonna follow Jesus? Are going to follow the teachings of Jesus? Or are we going to cave to the pressure of the world and the things that are being thrown at us constantly? Because this right here is Hezekiah's dilemma. And just for the sake of all the visual learners in the room, I want to take a second, I want to put up a table on the screen back here that you're going to see to kind of understand the situation that he's walking into. You have his father Ahaz, evil, the worst king that had ever existed prior to this moment right here. And it says what? 2 Kings 16, three, He followed the example of the kings of Israel, the kings who were not walking with God. Ahaz followed them instead of following the one true God. And then you have Hezekiah. He was, a, he was a righteous king, even greater than David, the Bible says. And who did he follow? Well, he followed just like his ancestor David did. And David pursued God with his entire heart. Yes, he made some mistakes. He had an affair and he had somebody murdered. But guess what? God still describes David as a man after my own heart. And Hezekiah is even better than him. But then Hezekiah, he has a son. His name is Manasseh. And Manasseh to this day is the most evil king, the most corrupt king, the nastiest person that has ever assumed the throne over Judah. And who did he follow? Well, he followed the detestable practices of the pagan nations in 2 Kings 21 one two, So we see a pattern here very clearly in scripture that it doesn't matter where you come from, but it matters who you follow and what you follow. Because Hezekiah, by all intents and purposes, he didn't see a great model, but yet God said, you did an amazing thing following me and, and keeping my law and my decrees in front of you at all times. But then Manasseh, his son, we're gonna get to in the end, he did not make good decisions and it cost him a lot for the nation of Judah. See, it's been a really inconsistent run for Israel. Good king, bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, good king. It's been very, very inconsistent. But Hezekiah made some decisions that really made the difference in terms of how he led the nation. 2 Kings 18, five through seven Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. Please don't miss this. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything, and he carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. So the Lord was with him. And Hezekiah was successful in everything he did and he revolted against the king of Assyria and refused to pay him tribute. So as a true worshiper of God, one of his very first acts, probably the most important thing that Hezekiah did very early on in his reign is he went into the temple and he reopened it and he undid all the things that his father Ahaz had put into practice, into play. He went in there and removed all kinds of idols and jewelry and sacrifices and all the things that the nation of Judah had been worshiping for generations to this point, he removed it all. He says, we're gonna get back as a nation to worshiping one thing, the one true God, not a bunch of other things. And so he commissioned some people to go into the temple, remove all of these things, the gold, the jewelry, the silver, all the all the gemstones, all the things that had been as an appeasement to God, And they removed it all and said, we're gonna get back to worshiping the one true God. And in the singular act, this is monumental for Judah because it didn't just affect Judah and Jerusalem, it affected all of Israel. Hezekiah set a pattern that would change for a time the way people worshiped certain things. It took their focus off of things and put it on to God, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. Now, I want us to to also see here that... um, Because Hezekiah was so faithful and God had delivered him and answered prayer after prayer after prayer, there was a situation on the horizon that was going to require Hezekiah to have unwavering faith and commitment to following God. It says the Assyrians here, King Sennacherib was a nasty man as well. And the Assyrians had taken over and conquered much land around Judah in the province of Judah. And in doing so, the Assyrians were, were not very nice people, and so in 701 BC, the Assyrians under King Sennacherib invaded Judah for the very first time. And when Hezekiah pulled all those things out of the temple that had been worshipped, he gave a peace offering to Sennacherib to try to try to, to stall the attack that was in in, in coming to the nation of Judah. He gave him some gold and some silver and just tried to make sure that, that Sennacherim was like, okay, I'll divert my attention for a short time, but, but they both knew it wasn't gonna last. And so they, they, they made this peace treaty and he gave him all these things and, and like, like they both had figured out, Sennacherim was okay for a while, but it came back with a vengeance. And the Assyrians openly taunted and defiled the God of Judah, Yahweh God. They mocked him and they compared him to all the other gods that they had already conquered because people were like, we have no hope. If the Assyrians are coming for us, we have no chance to escape this and to really, you know, keep intact our life. They're they're going to run us out of Judah and run us out of Jerusalem. Second Kings 19, 10 through 11, this message is for King Hezekiah of Judah Don't let your God and whom you trust deceive you with promises that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. You know perfectly well what the kings of Assyria have done wherever they have gone. They have completely destroyed everyone who stood in their way. And why should you be any different? This is one of those moments in the life of Hezekiah where it's it's tense. There's stress, there's anxiety. There was not a pattern or a track record for him to look to because his father would have just melted it in and said, you guys can just take whatever you want to take, just spare our lives. He didn't come from a favorable background. But Hezekiah knew deep down that he had the Lord God, the one true God on his side. And so, as I said, the Assyrians, they're nasty people. They didn't care who stood in their way or what was in their way. They were going to conquer it, take it, kill it, move it. It didn't matter. You couldn't stop them. And I want to show you again a map of what's going on here culturally to so you to understand what Hezekiah was up against. This map right here the green and the yellow, these are the, the, the two parts of the Assyrian Empire. And then you have this little tiny arrow right here that's Judah. So you have Hezekiah holding the Assyrians back with the power of God, knowing they've already taken all of this land. They had no model, they had no picture. They didn't think it was doable, but Hezekiah said, now we're gonna pray. We're gonna ask God to intervene because the Assyrians, this land does not belong to them. This this land is the land that God has given to us in a peace treaty, the promised land. They're not gonna take this from us. And so he began to seek counsel, to get advice, to pray. See, so dealing with these threats from Sennacherim, Hezekiah went to the only person he knew he could go to, the prophet Isaiah. And on two different occasions, he visits Isaiah and Isaiah tells him how this scene is gonna play out because he has the gift of prophecy. He can see things before they actually come to fruition. And he told him, hey, this is what's gonna happen. Sennacherim would hear a rumor and return to his own land and he would die by the sword of his own people. This is in 2 Kings 19, verses six and seven. And as Sennacherib persisted to disregard God, he sent a letter to Hezekiah. Judas King, once again, returned to the temple to pray. Hezekiah is so emotionally and physically exhausted over the threats and the stress of trying to manage all of this. The Bible says he tore his robe, his tunic, and just went on his knees before God and said, I don't know how you're gonna do this, God but I'm putting my faith and my trust in you. The nation of Judah is counting on you. The Assyrians are on the doorstep and we don't know what, we can't militarily stop, these, stop this from happening. It's out of our control. God, we need you to intervene. Would you, would you make your plans known to us? And after he laid Sennacherib's letter before the Lord, he prayed a humble, powerful supplication of faith. And see, Hezekiah, for the very first time, realized that it wasn't his reputation at stake. It was the Lord's. And the way that he managed this situation, the way that he represented God, had everything to do with his dependence on God. Again, outside of Isaiah, he didn't have a guy 10 generations before him that he could look to except David. David. His father, his grandfather, they were all wicked, evil men that just relied on themselves and cared about lining their own pockets. And here he is going to Isaiah to ask for a word from the Lord. Hey, how are we gonna intervene? How are we gonna stand up to Sennacherib and the Assyrians? The scene plays out in 2 Kings 19.35. That night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere, the Bible says. Now, I thought it would be interesting to compare this to some of the deadliest battles in our country. 185,000 people died like that overnight. The Civil War in Antietam 2,108 people lost their life. D-Day, June 6, 1944, 2,500 people lost their life. Now I'm gonna do some quick math here for you. Now there's no math in Bible college, which is why I went to Bible college, um, but some quick math that Andrew Smiley provided me because let's be honest, he's way smarter than me. 185,000 is 74 times more casualties than on Omaha Beach on D-Day. It's just amazing that in one single instant, God took care of the Assyrians. These these people that you could not reason with, that you couldn't buy off, you couldn't barter, you couldn't do anything. They were going to take you and kill you and they didn't care who they hurt in the process. Now, I know that, that the Red Sea in the book of Exodus, we covered a few months ago with Moses and God parting the Red Sea. That's an unbelievable miracle. But I think this miracle right here of 185,000 people losing their life in one night is highly underrated with the power of what God can do. If we just depend and follow him and believe that he is who he says he is and he is capable of doing whatever his will allows. This is unbelievable. He took a group of people that openly mocked God, defiled God, took out other nations and made fun of their gods and said enough is enough. These are my people, this is my land, this problem is now solved. In an instant, they were, they were gone. He wiped them out. See, it doesn't matter where you come from, what example you've seen, or any other excuse that you can muster. You, sitting in these chairs today, these pews, can break the cycle of how you were raised and the model that was handed down to you. But it matters who we follow. If we just simply say, uh, you know, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't my hand, I wasn't dealt those cards, I didn't have the opportunity, I didn't have the resources. We, again, we're really good about having clarifiers and reasons why something can't happen. The is on us because we have a choice every single day As we said last week, are we gonna deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus? Or are we gonna sit quietly in the corner and just make excuses for why we can't do certain things because it's harder on us than somebody else? Hezekiah didn't do that. He was dealt a bad hand, but his faith in God and God's power and God's plan was much greater than anything else that was up to him to control. And so we cannot talk about Hezekiah without talking about his son Manasseh. And what's interesting is after this Assyrian event happened and God killed 185,000 people and then Sennacherib goes back to Assyria and gets killed by his own men, Hezekiah became very ill and he knew that his life was about over and so he prayed to God and asked him, hey God, give me more life. And God said, because of your faithfulness, I will extend your life 15 years. This is really important because in those last 15 years, he has a son, Manasseh. And in order to continue the bloodline that produces Jesus the Messiah, Manasseh had to be born. Now we said he's an evil, evil, evil king, the worst that Israel had ever seen. And Hezekiah made a critical mistake. Once God gave him the extra 15 years of his life, it's almost like he went a little bit bipolar. He had this unbelievable first part of the story where he was living for God and, and living on conviction and, and waiting for God to act and trusting God. But then he has his son, and he doesn't really do anything for Manasseh to show him the power of God or who God was. And so Manasseh comes up and he takes over the nation of Judah at age 12. 12. I've got a 12-year-old sitting down here. This fool, there it is, I said it, can't walk down the stairs correctly sometimes, but you got a 12-year-old leading the nation of Judah up in here. Like, it ain't going to be good. Like, he's not a good dude, and he didn't see anything positive from his father, Hezekiah, because Hezekiah kind of forg- forgot to, to disciple his very first congregation, his family I mean, Lance and I will will, will tell stories about this. It doesn't matter necessarily on stage how successful our churches are. If we failed at home, then it doesn't matter. You know, Noblesville, Hamilton North, any of that stuff, it won't matter because we didn't lead our families the way that we're called to lead them. And in the last years of Hezekiah's unwillingness or unavailability to lead his son Manasseh to show him the things of God, here are just a few of the the things that happened when Manasseh took over because Hezekiah refused to pour into him. Number one, he set up Judah to be a prime target for Babylonian invasion. The Babylonians came in and eventually took it over. He cleared the way for Judah to return to a nation of of idol worship and idolatry. The very thing that Hezekiah worked so hard to undo from his father, Ahaz, Ahaz, And now Manasseh just ushered all those things back into the culture of the temple worship. They got away from worshiping God and they started worshiping things. That sounds like our American culture, does it not? We worship a bunch of things. We worship sports and entertainment, social media, freedom, all kinds of things that are are not bad things but they're not the most important thing and that is who we follow and are we following Jesus? See, and the the last thing that happened is because the Babylonians came in and took over Judah, they forfeited the land that God had given them. And it all comes back to a choice of not honoring God and making God the most important pursuit of their life. They came in and they lost sight of the mission. They got distracted, they got complacent and Manasseh took Israel to a very, very dark place that they've never recovered from. So what does this mean for us? We can hear a story about Hezekiah and the book of 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings. Okay, that's great, that happened hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. What does that mean for me? Well, what it means first first of all for all of us is we need to understand and wrestle with the fact that it doesn't matter where you came from, it matters who you follow. See, Hezekiah was a man of deep conviction He was caught in the middle of an old-fashioned good versus evil climate, and he chose good for most of his life. But then evil took over, and it's kind of the the remembering part of of Hezekiah's legacy that he didn't lead his son to the very same things that he built his kingdom on. I want you to know this, that we will all have a choice on how we will be remembered. Are we gonna be remembered like Hezekiah, a man or woman of, of deep conviction and faith that we're not gonna wrestle based on what culture is throwing at us or shoving down our throat or telling us that this is the most important thing. Are we gonna hold true to the truth, the scripture? Or is our legacy that we're gonna pass down how we're remembered as a, an Ahaz or a Manasseh that just changed with the shifting sands, had nothing to cling to, no anchor, and we were driven only by our ability to be fulfilling to ourself. I don't want that to be my legacy, and I'm guessing you don't want it to be your legacy either. See, Hezekiah saw God do mighty things, but to wrap this up, the most important verse, in my opinion, is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, verse 21. And this is what it says. In all that he, Hezekiah, did in the service of the temple of God and in his efforts to follow God's laws and commands, Hezekiah sought his God wholeheartedly. And as a result, he was very successful. He wasn't successful in terms of more money, more esteem, more praise, more power. He was successful because he did the things that God valued. His heart beat after the things of God. And when your life is over and you have to give an inventory of, of how you will be remembered or even judged for that matter, Do you wanna be a Hezekiah? Do you wanna be a person that has deep convictions to the things that matter in all of eternity? Or do you wanna just continue to say, I wasn't given that chance. I didn't have that. I didn't have access to that. It doesn't matter where you come from. It matters who you follow. And all of us have a choice to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And here's the thing about the bloodline. In this series, you know, none of us are born into the family of, of Jesus, the family of God. We have to be reborn into it. We have to make a decision to say that Jesus, I'm living for you. My life is no longer about me. I'm, I'm living for the things that you value and I'm gonna die to myself and I'm gonna make you, more, make you more famous. And so we all have the choice to follow the Lord today. We aren't included in the family just because of good church attendance or the family that we were born into. We don't get passed down generationally Christianity. We have to make that choice for ourselves. It's an individual walk, one that we do in community with one another. It doesn't matter how much money you give or how many times you rock a baby in the nursery. It's a decision solely based upon the fact that you are going to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. See, If your family is dysfunctional, normal, or even amazing, it it doesn't matter. What matters is who you follow and who you are choosing to give your life to. Now, every single week in the series, we have an opportunity to have a little bit of a moment of reflection. After I pray, there's gonna be a question that pops up that is intended for you to kind of spend some time, about 40 seconds or so, wrestling and asking God where you are on this journey that was talked about today. Who are you following? What excuses are you making? And what can you do to position yourself today to put yourself in a position where you're just pursuing God and the things of God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, for the way that you speak to us. God, thank you for the life of of Hezekiah, his example. God, thank you that he did not waver to people making unbelievable threats to his own life, his own safety, his country. But God, he consulted people that were ahead of him and wiser than him and more spiritual than him to know what to do. And God, you blessed him for that. You took care of him. You spared his life. God, help us to be people with deep convictions that we are not based on emotion where we can be like the wind, Father, here one day, there the next, and we're not consistent. God, help the Word of God, the inerrant, perfect Word of God, to be our standard, to be the thing that we base our life on so that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God, that we are pursuing you and that we are following you. Help us to do that today. We love you, Father, in your name we pray. Amen.